Hi Green Grow fam, this is Stephanie Rodriguez, editor and producer of the Regenerate Revolution Life Soil Success Podcast. I want to apologize for any background noise you may hear. Welcome to the Regenerate Podcast where we talk about entrepreneurship, gardening, cannabis, and everything related to that. Today on our podcast, we have our guest Rob Laubacher, an industry veteran from the cannabis and hydroponics world. He got in the industry around the same time I did, and we're gonna share our stories of where we started from, how it evolved, and where we think it's going. So thanks, Rob, for showing up and saying hi. Good to be here, brother. Yeah. Yeah. We got in around the same time, I think, what, 2010? Yeah, I'm at the 16-year mark, yeah. maybe moving into 17. Yeah, so 2009 is when Green Grow was founded and we started meeting up with everyone. I met you and a few other people first on the road, in the street, yep. hitting stores. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about like street life and, and, and what is it like being a rep early on in your origin story? Right, well, what a long, strange trip it's been. Uh, thousands upon thousands, maybe if not millions of miles at this point. Uh, originally from New York, born and raised Long Island. I moved out to California when I was uh, 20, turning 21, and I went from Massapequa, Long Island to Humboldt County, Arcata, living off Giantoli Lane. So it was a, a culture shock to me. I had never seen a hippie or even a weed plant before. I, I'd smoked marijuana in New York, but most of it was coming uh, from, it was BC Big Bud, so yeah. Northern Lights and stuff like that. So so you got, so your first hit of patchouli oil, red locks, <laughs> yep. people, people not believing in showering every day. Okay. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it was quite the culture shock for yeah. me, but it began my education of all things cannabis. My uh, sister was a cultivator at that time, and oddly a condo. And at that time, uh, train wreck and sour diesel were all the rage. So I was doing, I was basically helping to build grow rooms because my uh, job in New York was construction. I was doing HVAC, framing, all those sorts of things. So when I came out to Cali, most of the hippies didn't know how to swing a hammer. So I started building grow rooms. Then I learned how to take care of them. Uh, Then ultimately I had my own and from there, you know, just shopping with the retail hydro stores, um, I said, you know, this seems like something I want to do. So I got a job at a retail hydro right. store. Which and store was that? It was uh, Dirt Cheap in Mendocino, California, Wait, way back in the out, day. The one out Fort there? Bragg. Oh, yeah. Fort Bragg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was back when it was really banging, you know, we had like $20,000, $30,000 days. Like it was uh, when there were air-cooled lights were, were all the rage and sunlight supply was, you know, reigning supreme, um, you know, the good days. And I kept seeing sales reps come in, and I made friends with them, like High Trung, and oh, just the, yeah, High. just the various reps. So for for people that don't know, High Trung was like one of the highest ranking members of Sunlight Supply before they got bought by Hawthorne, and maybe even after Hawthorne. And he was most notable for bringing a lot of these new brands, you know, from know, maybe 2008 to 2016 into the fold of Sunlight, which. I mean, he expanded the line there with the help of Heather Coburn more than really anyone that I ever knew. Yeah, and on top of that, he was a real man's man. Like, he knew it had to show all the customers a really good time. I mean, you you, you find yourself in Vegas with him, it was going to be a wild night, to say the least. 
Um, so, you know, he knew how to entertain and he knew how to make great deals and, and take care of people. And so I made friends with High Trong. High Trong introduced me to Trey Bradley, the owner of Botanicare, because at the time Sunlight wasn't hiring. He goes, you know what, man, we're not hiring, but I'm going to get you a spot. And so he introduced me to Trey Bradley and um, Botanicare. I was essentially the first sales rep for Botanicare stateside. They had a guy that was in Canada but I was their first U.S. sales rep. When so, was that, 2007, 2008? You know, I'd have to like do some yeah, mathematics yeah. here to figure it out, but because it, it's all been a, yeah. a you know a, a lot, it's a blur at this point. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was it was a while ago, and you so, know. So tell the audience, okay, what was it like in the Wild West days of the hydroponics and organics? Like, what what is different about when you first got in? Maybe when you were first repping for Botanicare versus the last 10, 15 years? Like, what did you see? What was the vibe? The vibe at the time that I got in, there was, um, man, I hope this doesn't sound harsh. No, you there was a lot harsh. more soul and yeah. love and compassion and energy. Just, it was just an awesome industry to be in. People were I mean, excited. They were so excited. And remember like every deal that I did was based around smoking a joint or a blunt. Like that's how we did business. That's how we closed deals. Like, and back then, back in the day, like when you walked in the store as a rep, the owners would like kind of grill you to see if you were bullshit or not. Like to see what your level of knowledge was, feel you out. Um, okay. Yeah. I and it was. That, yeah. I mean, I remember that when you know you, you and I, and a bunch of people in Vegas in 2011. We couldn't really get anything done unless we left the show. It was a garden show. And then we'd meet up with them at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And then we'd have to be out with them until 2 or 3 in the morning even yeah. later. And if we didn't do that, the deal wasn't done. Yeah, it was a count, It was much more of a counterculture industry where, you know, we were all outlaws, essentially. You know, I mean, there was, there was recreational. But, you know, for the vast majority of our lives, you know, previous to that, especially anyone cultivating outside the state of California where there wasn't medical, we were outlaws. And so we wanted to make sure that the people we were doing business with, like, fit kind of into that mold, that they were like us. Um, and there were just a lot of special relationships that came as a result of that. It was a closed, tight-knit community that has expanded over time, you know, to where we are now, it's completely different. Um, the suits and the ties came in. Well, and, and let's talk about that for the audience a little bit. So, I mean, you know, Rob and I are talking about, you know, maybe 2008, 2012, 13. And then we started seeing, let's, let's say, middle tier of the hydroponics industry, right? So there's a 20-year history of real big industry stuff going on, right? I mean, you could say it goes back all the way to when GH was founded in 1979. But let's right. just say... Well, we're, we're talking about our experience, which you and I being in the industry. So after 2013, 14, you know, explain to the audience what started happening. I mean, you started having the corporate takeover. Yeah. So um, really once big business found a way in, which was, hey, we could sell the equipment. We don't have to touch the plant. Yeah. And they had that realization, you know, money started coming in from the outside world and it started transitioning from a counterculture to kind of um, going into the mainstream. It was, you know, as social media advanced mm -hmm. um, and the general acceptance of cannabis advanced, it started getting the attention of uh, what I call the suits and the ties. No disrespect, you know, people come from all walks of life, but... Um, we're being very cautious about who we're saying. Yeah, like, <laughs> and also it's like, 
so many people paved the way and put their liberty and freedom on the line because we were risking jail time in, in certain cases. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if we're being realistic here, not everyone was a medical cultivator, right? Yeah, you know, we, we have know. black market, we have white market. That's really the only, and for the audience, there is no gray area. There's black or white market. Yep. You have the recreationally licensed growers and you have the people that have been growing for 30 years, 40 years, third generation farmers. Yep. And that, that's what it is. Yeah, and coming like coming from New York, you know, I'm uh, as a young kid, relatively, you know, 21, 22 years old. I'm learning about families that have had multiple generations of cultivation, you know, that go back to the times when the National Guard were flying around in Bell Hueys bucking up water tanks with 50 cows, you know, like crazy shit. So, um, you know, to where it is now, it's, uh, you know, you see some of those same families, which are now maybe like on generation three, like fighting for survival in places like Garberville or Humboldt County or Trinity where uh, as you know the market expands throughout the US and the word travels and just you know as more cultivators come online and uh, you know the prices are fluctuating and the cost of production and then also going up against these commercial grows which you know aren't necessarily the be all end all because they have to pay a lot of taxes and they have a very narrow margin of error too so i mean let's let's dive into that piece so i mean what, what, rob and i've talked about the early stages of the industry and what it was like and the cowboy days and money flowing and then we talked about the middle stage which was the corporate takeover or so let's say corporate investment period where a lot of companies were being bought by yep. larger corporations. We're not going to name any names, but <laughs> um, and then so you then you have the streamlining, I would say, of the industry from the middle stage now to what I call the late stage. And what you know what Rob was talking about is every state that now legalizes cannabis, you have kind of an influx of growers that are chasing like whack-a-mole yeah. to every state going, okay, I'm going to make money here. I'm going to make money there. And then that state collapses and this one and this one, right? And so now we finally, after 40 years of cannabis production, we're what I call late stage. California growers are fighting for their life. Big time. You know, and they're fighting for their life. And all my, my my explanation is is that California has the highest property taxes, the highest cost of utilities, highest you know sales tax, highest income tax in the country, and the highest like cost for a property. And we're supposed to be growing cannabis at a certain price, and then everyone else in the country is like coming in from a cheaper area, going, oh, if you can't sell it to us for this, we're out. Yep. And between all the local and then state taxes levied on a white market grower, it's punishing. It's brutal. Uh, Like I said, very narrow margin of error. Uh, And at this point, you have um, MSOs based in, you know, all over the U.S., but they're shutting down California operations because they just simply can't get above board um, on their, their cultivation sites. So... You know, I'm really hoping at some point California gets the message and makes some adjustments to um, allow these entrepreneurs to be successful and come out into the light. Yeah, I mean, Uh, it's like a legacy program, right? It's like, you know, these people in Humboldt and Trinity and Mendocino and Sonoma County, they've been growing for 40 plus years. No one else in the country was daring to do this kind of stuff that they were doing. Exactly. They were creating the genetics, breeding the genetics producing next generation high quality cannabis and then now all of their work is almost being stolen from them shipped across the country produced for less 
and then the people who are producing it for less are trying to come back to them and say, I have your work over here, but if you don't produce it for 500 pounds, you can just pound salt. Yeah. For me, that's kind of where I've taken offense to this called late stage industry that we're in, where I think it can, I think there's a resurgence that's gonna happen soon, but what I think's happened is that we talked about the soul of the industry being ripped out. Yep. Because there was, the, the cannabis market, especially in the West Coast, was very organics driven, very terpene enhanced, we want to make sure flavor, quality, aroma, look, bag appeal is there because we are proud of what we're producing, right? Just like the wine grape region in Sonoma and Mendocino County, we produce some of the best wine in the entire United States. We had the same type of care and quality to our products for cannabis. And now that it's being produced all around the United States with salt-grown, sterile, soulless weed, Yep. It's exactly half, half ass terpene profiles, -ass if terpenes, at all. Yeah. At all. yeah. And so what I take it back to, and this is kind of an analogy for people in the wine industry, is that so California wines are some of the best in the world, but it wasn't always that way. So California vineyards started getting purchased after they're about, the industry was about 15 years old and there was some money in it. This is back in the late 80s. They started getting purchased by corporate wine conglomerates in the 90s. And then it was just like the cost went down, the quality went down. And people started going, after several years, going, this is bullshit, I want good wine. So you had some money flow in and create, I wouldn't say craft wineries, but you know, like 50 acre wineries versus 500 acre wineries. Yep. And the wine quality was through the roof, right? So in the early 2000s, you started seeing this resurgence of like Napa Sonoma wine, $100 bottles of wine, that it's the best wine you've ever had in your life, right? And yeah, you can get wine for 10 bucks a bottle, right? That still exists from the corporate wine producers. But if you are a boardroom guy, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're someone that wants to show off to their friends and take them on a trip and say, here's a bottle of wine with our dinner, you're not getting the $10 bottle of wine. You're getting the Schrader $100 big cab, you know, from Napa. Yeah. And so that's kind of my transition really into like, where we, I think, think the next five years is gonna go is this, we had the late stage cannabis market where things kind of collapsed out here. And now we're kind of seeing the inklings of what terpenes, right? Yep. Terpenes are the essence of what makes cannabis good. And so if when farms start tracking terpenes and they start realizing that salt grown weed, if it's all you're doing in a sterile environment can never produce good terpenes, I think we're gonna see what happened in the wine industry. I agree. I mean, so you hear the that buzz term like craft cannabis or, you know, micro breweries, which yeah. is is going. That's the direction it's moving in. So, you know, company or um, growers that strive for perfection, that aren't necessarily all about a massive operation producing a mid-grade weed. Because I've been to some incredible cultivation sites, and the infrastructure is it's impressive what they have going on. But when you look at the end result, it's a mid-grade weed. You know, it's it's a mass produce. And then you go out up into the hills of you know the aforementioned counties we just talked about, and you have the people that are holding it together and they are striving for perfection. They want that terpene profile. They're working with really good genetics from seed stock. You know, they're just doing the best they can to produce the finest quality product. Um, and that's important to a large portion of the market. Yeah, I think, I mean, and I think it's, I think this cannabis collapse, you want to call it, is transitory because of what you just said. I mean, I know me personally, 
I would never, I mean, anything I've seen in most of the dispensaries over the last 12 months, I, I can't even touch it with a 10 foot pole. That's funny you mention that, because I've been, I, I didn't ever really go to dispensaries, because uh, I just get dank yeah. weed from all my homies, right? Yeah. So, but I started going in here or there in my travels just to check things out. And I rem several times I remember like looking in these glass cabinets, I'm like, all right, do I forget what good weed looks like, or does all this fucking suck? You know, it was strange to me. I was like, this is brown. I'm like, I'm confused. Am I missing something, you know? Yeah. But I mean, and that and that's a big part that I was talking to one of our other colleagues here at Spare Time about today was people don't understand that if you grow in a absence of organics and microbials, your shelf life is half. So people don't understand why, why is the shelf life of our produce in the grocery stores worse than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Yeah. Well... We're only using synthetic salts with no organic matter and no microbes. And those microbes are helping to preserve and, and, and produce certain types of compounds that help keep the shelf life of those produce. The same thing is true in like the, the cannabis stores. It's only, they're saying it's only a three, three month shelf life now. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I mean shit, you and I, sick. I mean, you might buck it down in November, December and store it until April or May and sell it. Yeah. And it was totally still fire. You trimmed it up. It was perfect. So, you know, it kind of reminds me of like, I, I used to give the analogy, you go into the grocery store and you see the big, beautiful strawberry. And when you take it home and you bite it, you're like, this is flavorless and terrible. <laughs> looks good in some cases, but you know, um, yeah, everything good. you just said in regards to the organics and bringing out that terpene file and how it's just naturally the way a plant wants to be. I mean, yeah. we can throw science in something and, and be successful on a certain level, but... That's what my new thing is to do, is when I talk to a farmer that's real arrogant and they're growing like synthetically and they're in a sterile environment, I go, that's cool, bro, um, show me your terpene score. Yep. Oh, we don't even test for that. We just, you know, CBD, THC, our THC is at 29, 30%. I'm like, okay, so what's your terpenes at? Right. I don't know. Or I don't want to show you. Or I mean, that's proprietary. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or, or some guys are like, we're doing pretty good. We're at 1.9%. And I'm like, and for the audience, look, if you're below 2% on terpenes, I, I, it's terrible. Yeah. So everything that I grow and everything that my farm, Green Synergy Farms, which is our test farm, grows, we're every single strain we're banging above 4%. I mean, we have the highest score in California right now at 5.05% with pink certs. Wow. I mean, and it's so different. And then people don't understand that the terpenes also play into how your body feels when you're smoking or when you're ingesting it or whatever you're doing, right? You have that kind of euphoric, kind of like more of like buzzing kind of feeling, but, but you still have the high and everything, but it's, it's just a better feeling. Agreed. I feel like this 28% THC with no soul stuff, you just feel like, yeah, I'm high, I guess, for a while, but yeah. I don't even care, you know? I guess like the wine thing, it's like, you know, then you're you're, you're noticing the, yeah. the the floral notes or however yeah. they lay it out, you yeah. know, that that's the same with the terpenes yeah. too. Um, yeah. And you can just tell the excitement in, the, in a grower who cares versus one who's just straight for commercial production too, like the passion when they, hey man, check this out, they're like opening the jar and they're like, like you crack open the bud and you just, they get really excited about it. It's just a level of passion that's there versus like, uh, I'm going to work today. This is my job. Yeah. Mix the res. Mix the know. res more. I mean, th there's a degree of that in every grow, but um, particularly in the triangle, uh, it's 
been a unique place for a long time. And, you know, kind of back to what we were talking about previous, like the collapse, it was actually emotional for me and yeah. hard to see yep. all of these families, like, what do we do? Yeah. So I think that we will actually ultimately prevail because the people that have been doing it for as long as they have, they stand by the quality and the methods of production that work the best. And that involves organics, microbials, beneficials, that's what produces the cannabis that if people knew any better, they, we would, that's all they'd want to smoke. Well, yeah, and I think the market's going to dictate to it over time, especially the people that have been used to smoking California high quality for 10, 15 years are like, wait, yeah. what happened to the quality here? So I think over the next three years, we're going to see it. Breathe life into your soil with Green Grow. Organic, sustainable, all-in-one soil additives for your gardening and farming needs with the highest quality, non-harmful ingredients. Locally sourced, Green Grow promotes probiotic soil building that will nurture and help your soil flourish, maintaining a living soil system for your plants to thrive. Easy to use products for all stages of growing. You take pride in what you grow, and so do we. Grow only the best with Green Grow Biologicals. Order online or find your nearest location where Green Grow products are sold. Swinging back to, okay, we there, there, it's fine if we have that 25-30% low grade shit, but you need to have mid and then premium tier. And, and you're discerning customers in the cities. Like I said, if you're a high powered business person and you're going to a meeting with all your group and you want to show them some nice smoke because they've never seen it before, you're not buying garbage from the dispensary that's salt grown. Agreed. Yeah. And you want it to be stamped with Mendo, Humble, whatever, right? Yeah. Because everyone, all the rap songs, all the stuff we've heard all of our life is that's where it's coming from. They didn't they didn't have a rap song saying, Oklahoma weed is the best, right? <laughs> yeah. They had a song saying Mendo, Humble, yeah. tri the green emerald triangle, you know? So It was unique for me to, you know, just being a New Yorker and just not even thinking about cannabis in the way that I do now, coming out here and being able to step foot in the really the uh, ground zero of where this industry bloomed from so and to where it is now but you know the, as outlaws we knew how to survive and we did what it took at all costs to be successful in the face of great odds and so uh, our ability to um, you know rise up and continue forward uh, it, it is unmatched and I know that we will prevail and it's gonna it's in a new market it's in a di different way um, but you know hustle hard so <laughs> so let's let's tell the audience then okay so we're looking at the next five years now so we've gone through three phases of the cannabis market in our generational journey okay over the last 15 16 years what is the next five years going to look like? We talked about it a little bit, so maybe a resurgence in organic premium craft, but what else could we see from it? That's a good question. I think we're going to see um, you know, the white market, like I said, it needs to make some changes in California yeah. um, to be viable. Yeah. Maybe so, less taxes? Yes, so that's okay. what I'm hoping for. I think that, I mean, obviously, there's conversations going on with the governor. I mean, the, you know, people are basically on their bullhorns like, hey, help us out. We, you know, we need these things. So I think ultimately California will and should relent to bring down the cost of production um, so that 
these companies can start just going away from straight salt production, let me get as many pounds as I can, and they can start focusing on the quality. I think maybe there's a line of, we have to produce this mid-grade because we have to hit these numbers to get this money to be operational because of all the taxes. I think that plays in somewhere. Yeah, and I mean, I think too, what I've been seeing is we have this, um, <laughs> I call it the, the sexy term, right? Where it's like, everyone thinks it's so sexy to do things like big ag does it. So I got to have the facility laid out right. with dual stage rows with, you know, Grodan cubes, you know, certain types of, you know, liquid injection systems that are pneumatic and, and it's sexy, right? It looks all clean and cool and everything, yep. but they didn't need it for their size, right? Like only the largest cannabis facilities need that small and mediums you can still do a nice irrigation system and do a raised bed system indoors where you have beds like a greenhouse where you have them like two feet by a hundred feet and you have four or five beds and you only have to replace that soil once every two or three years. Yep. So there again, you're cutting costs, you're going more living soil. You can still throw some salts at it, but you have the living soil buffer right there and you're increasing terpenes. But what I, I mean, I, and I think that that might come back the direction of- I agree. I mean, because I've shown And people. I've seen the setups you're talking about too before. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it started to become like a throwaway culture. I'm going to replace my soil every time, you know, and I'm just going to go through it. It's like, you can re-amend. We have plenty of products in this industry that will help remediate your soil so that you can use it for years to come. And yes, you may need to backfill as stuff breaks down over time, but we're not talking about completely replacing your soil every time. Let's yeah. talk about regenerative farming. Yeah, yeah, I, and, and I think that that's where the cost gap is between these commercial rec farms right now. Is that when I when I walk them, they're like, "Oh, Mark, we just, you know, we can't afford to be running organics." And I'm like, "Okay, but let's take the difference between salt-based fertilizer and organic-based fertilizer. Organics might be a little bit more on the outside, on the outside, but when it comes to replacing your cocoa every single run or your grodan every single run." I just feel like you could go and, and it's almost equivalent to the same price by the time you look at changing out your media. And then also, as you know, with salt-based fertilizers, you're going to be chasing pathogen issues. Yep. You're going to be chasing bugs. So let's add in the IPM sprays with the cost of replacing your soil or nutrient or, or whatever substrate you're using. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the, the pest and disease thing, like you mentioned, with organics, obviously, uh, and using beneficials, the plants are going to have much more resistance to pathogens and infestations. And that saves a lot um, of money because yeah, IPM labor costs. Are yeah, exactly, and just labor costs of replacing, you know, and, and moving out those blocks. Now, I get depending on where you're cultivating. Like, if you're in an urban environment, especially if like you're a home grower, you know, separating. Let's separate for a second from commercial to like home grower. I get that it may be difficult if you live in San Francisco or Bay Area to grow soil, and you may want to do blocks, um, but. You know, anywhere you can grow organically and utilize, you know, methods that have existed for millennia that now we've fine-tuned and we have available to you um, and easy-to-use products, it's ultimately going to be the better pet because of what it will produce, um, the flavor, like I said, the terpene profile, um, that really craft microbrew, just dank-ass mm -hmm. weed. Yeah, and that's what I think we're mission my mission, your mission for the next, I think, five years is going to be, and we'll see where we're at in five years, and we'll have another conversation and be like, well, okay, 
this is what happened, you know? So yeah. I think every five to seven years is when we kind of notice a huge difference in the swing. So that's fair, you know, yeah. but I mean, I at least appreciate you coming out and talking to me about your story, your journey, which is very similar to mine, you know? And again, we'll probably have more things to talk about in the future, you know, other products that you've worked with and sold and other experiences you had in the industry and a longer format session will be fun to have. So yeah, I look forward to that. You know, we'll, we'll definitely hop on this again. You know, in five years, we'll be 21 years in roughly. <laughs> that, that, that's a long tour of duty. So, yeah. uh, you know, I definitely look forward to reporting what I see out there. And thanks for having me on. All right. Before we close, like how do people find you? How can people get a hold of you if they want to get your insult, uh, your consulting <laughs> advice uh, on, you know, what you know you do and what brands you, you service? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can get a hold of me at lawbackerconsulting uh, at gmail.com. That's L-A-U-B-A-C-H-E-R. So it's my last name, consulting at gmail.com. I, I wasn't creative enough to, uh, you know, pick some fun name. So just me, first name, Rob. Um, I represent several other brands uh, in addition to Green Grow, like BioAg and uh, Central Coast Gardening Products. Um, you know, so I have humic and fulvic acids, I have pesticides, um, and different grow medias, and I cover California, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Nevada, but really throughout my career I've covered basically most of the U.S. and into Canada too. Um, I make myself available to my customers basically 24-7 almost. I've even had customers just check me on that by calling me at like 11 o'clock on a Saturday night. And they're damn surprised when I pick up the phone. That's awesome. I've even had situations where it's like Saturday night, 2 a.m., maybe I'm out with some friends partying. I get an email from a customer in L.A. and I say, watch this. They're not going to expect me to respond. I'm like, bam, thanks for the order. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I'm always here for my customers and down to help awesome. out in any way that I, uh, I can. So okay. feel free to email me or contact me uh, by phone, 916-926-7600. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for coming to listen to our podcast today, the Regenerate Podcast by Green Grow. Um, you can find uh, Green Grow at thegreengrow.com with no W. We also have Instagram at thegreengrow and YouTube at Green Grow Biologicals. So thank you and see you guys again next time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode on the Regenerate Revolution Life Soil Success Podcast. Do not forget to leave us a five-star rating, review, like, comment, and share with your friends.